Hey guys, Alex Lokes here from Classic Camera Revival. And if you have ever seen the iconic Stanley Kubrick film, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and you remember the evil artificial intelligence, HAL 9000, you will have seen a really wide-angle lens in the iconic red eye. So today, we are going to be talking about, not about evil artificial intelligence, but rather, we're talking about our favorite big glass, that is ultra-wide lenses, lenses that are 24 millimeters or wider, or fast lenses, anything that is rated at f1.4 or wider open. So, let's get into it. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. I'll take a kick at the can. Go for it, Bill. There you go. Okay, today, we're, I guess we'll start wide? Yeah, let's start wide. Okay, we're talking wide. Last fall, I was headed up to northern Muskoka and... Um, and again, I'm sort of the classic CCR brain hive chat on Facebook Messenger and saying, okay, I'm running with this kit, which is basically an FM2, an FE2, the following bits of glass, and just sort of like, again, a 50, Nikkor AI 50F2s. Can't go wrong with those. Uh, the new uh, the new to me 80 to 200 f4 zoom which is a beautiful bit of lens but we're not talking about that today but it was the wide angle lens I was kind of like sitting here going okay what do I want to bring with me and it's like oh again the usual 28 2.8 AIS which is like uh, the 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 savior lens within the Nikkor line because it's got the close focusing element and all that but Alex I think it was Alex who suggested hey go with the 24 28. Can't go wrong with that. And that actually saved me with a great shot. And again, this is AIS, but today I'm going to talk more about the N. Maybe if I got a few seconds, I can briefly chat about the AIS. But basically, it's the same focal length. It's slightly wider than 28, but it's definitely not a 20. It's amazing for landscape. It is, uh, oh my God, it's beautiful for streets. So what's so special about the Nikkor N? I'm just pulling out my cheat sheet here. It was introduced in 1967, a year before I showed up. It is a retrofocus design. It is the first, um, basically the first of the uh, close focus correction system that Nikkor, uh, Nikon has for its Nikkor lenses. So if you wound up with a Nikkor uh, pre-AI, I think it's the N28F2, it had the close focus correction system. Close focus correction system. Yes, say that really fast after a few English-style porters. Um, so going deeper on this, it is uh, the lens construction is uh, with the uh, Nikkor 24 2.8 N, which is the pre-AI. Uh, it is a um, Nine elements and seven groups. It is, uh, and again, I, I sort of found it really shone in difficult light photography, like around dusk in November and December. And you're pushing, of course, uh, from the previous episode, HP5 to 1600 or Ultrafine Extreme to 1600. Uh, Ultrafine Extreme 400 to 1600, and it's great for sort of urban night photography, handheld urban night photography, where you're not like on a tripod, you're out walking. I have shot on in the Toronto's financial district, and I really loved what I got out of this uh, lens. Uh, this lens um, is particularly the Nikkor 2428, and again, it's more modern counterpart. It's uh, they kind of messed around with the formula. It's uh, nine elements and nine groups. And I use that. And, of course, if somebody stumbled across my blog and saw that shot from Buck Lake in northern Muskoka, that was shot on the 24-28 with HP5 at box speed. So, yeah, it's like um, – so if you're shooting older Nikon gear, of course, you want the N. If you're shooting younger, you want the AI or AIS. Spring for the AIS. It's the youngest. It's got the best coatings. But if you're shooting pre-AI, you can save a few bucks and go with the Nikkor N. And, of course, always invest in the uh, Nikkor HN1 uh, lens hood. You can find them on the big auction site. Actually pretty cheap. It's like either made by Nikon or somebody's knocked them off and 
Uh, you can get them delivered to your door in the space of, I don't know, four or five weeks from China or Japan. Uh, and uh, you're off to the races. Again, I can't recommend the uh, lens hood enough, especially at the end, because, it's, again, it's an older lens, so the lens coatings aren't quite as good to so, deal with bouncing. Rates. Flare. Flare. And it cuts that down. And, again, I say use lens hoods whenever possible because, again, it's also that added extra bit of protection. Heaven forbid if your butterfingers and your lens decides to make contact with uh, terra firma. <laughs> or you're on a tripod and the wind hits it and it falls over and hits the front of the lens, which just happened to me and thankfully was saved by the lens hood. Absolutely. Lens hoods are your friends. Now, exactly. Now, 24 millimeters is wide, but sometimes you just need to go wider. I was taking it to 11. Actually, first we're going to take it only to 16. And yes, to Trevor. 16. Um, I was introduced to a 16 mil lens when working on a newspaper uh, in the, uh, the, the the room that had all the extra lenses and stuff that we get, the, 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 what you call it, the, the share room of lenses. And it was a AFD 16 2.8 uh, Nikkor uh, autofocus. It was a really beautiful lens. Um, and I was told to go do some fun environmental portraits of people at a farmer's market with it. Um, and they wanted to basically have, you know, filler on a page and, uh, but make it kind of creative and told me only to take this lens with me. Now I'd never shot anything really wider than 24 before. And I thought, well, this is going to be all distorted and it's going to look weird and stuff, but it ended up being the best lens I'd shot um, in a long time and felt so creative because just the way you can just group everything together and it's not too fisheye, but it is distorted and how everything's in focus and at 2.8, um, even in, you know, little stalls in a farmer's market. Um, it was just really, really nice. And that a little bit of distortion, but it's really, really fun lens to use. Um, I later on used it for sports, uh, things such as skateboard and bike uh, BMX competitions. Um, if you're at the top of a half pipe and some skater comes flying right at you and you're wearing, you're using that lens and they're right in your face, you don't realize how close they actually are to you um, until actually you get hit in the head by one of their uh, wheels, uh, which actually happened to me. Um, but uh, you get some awesome shots uh, with the 16 mil and. And uh, I've used it for fun portraiture with uh, bands and stuff before. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I take it out every once in a while to really kick up, uh, you know, their creativity. So I had a chance to borrow my brother's Nick Horror 16 millimeter. And uh, I've used it for a few shots on was last summer. And it was just like, oh, wow. <laughs> I used it for some documentary stuff in a hospital one time as well because you're in tight spaces and that you can really get everything in there yeah. as well as some factory work where in a corner where all the panels are, you need to get a photo of someone kind of like sitting there checking the numbers on a panel of some sort. And uh, it, it ends up uh, actually really working quite well for that sort of thing as well for um, extreme close-up, uh, narrow-spaced environmental portraits. Hmm. Now... One lens that um, that we have on the list today, I have seen John's work with, and it is mind-blowing. Um, just the way you can compose stuff with the um, with a rangefinder, and that, of course, is the Voigtlander Superwide Heliar 15mm f4.5. Cue angel music here. I was thinking the choir from like Raiders. I think it was like the one of the uh, Indiana Jones movies, the last one, the Last Crusade. Uh, we're going to get to that in a later episode. Ah, fair enough. <laughs> so yeah, um, one of my favorite lenses is the uh, is a Superwide Heliar 15 millimeter f 4.5. Um, is actually this is the second lens of that series that I have owned. Um, I tr I originally had the first one, which was like a thread mount. Which came out. It was it was released by uh, Voigtlander, the Casina iteration of Voigtlander, in 1999, along with the Bessa L body and viewfinder. And it was quite historic at the time. I won't go to the Bessa L, but it uh, it was it was quite the uh, made quite the splash when it came out. And the the version, like I said, the first version was screw mount. Uh, first version, like in my mind, had one drawback. It had no filter threads. 
so you couldn't put a filter on it. Um, so I traded away for another lens and sort of eventually wished I hadn't. So I then went and purchased on the used market the uh, the Mark II. Um, and the, it's, it, the lens is a bit bigger, but the advantage of that one is that uh, it's you know, like an M-mount, um, but it also has a 52-millimeter front thread. Now you have to be realistic. You cannot stack filters on this. You can uh, you know, vignetting is good. Oh yes, if you like your vignettes, you'll be you'll be in heaven. Uh, but one filter, it'll do. So what I love to do is shoot a film like Rolly Retro eighty S or or Double X, which is at films that are very very responsive to red filters and do architecture and uh that's just it's one of my happy places now these these are rectilinear lenses uh meaning that if you hold things absolutely level uh you're not going to get fisheye distortion now if you point them up or point them down you will get distortion aplenty but that can be an interesting thing it can sort of give a sort of a surrealistic outerworldly look to uh, to a lot of buildings so the older models, you know, they're affordable. Like this is not a $50 lens, <laughs> but if you, uh, cause you know, the Voigtlander does not make cheap lenses. Um, but look at the grand scheme of things. What would an equivalent from Zeiss or equivalent from Leica set you back? Or even Two, like, three grand. or even like when Nikon did their, more. their 15 millimeter lens, like that thing is thousands of dollars because it's so uncommon. Yeah. What do they make? Maybe like 800 of them or something. Yeah. So, and, uh, that's one of the good reasons, like one of the advantages of a rangefinder is that it is easier to make this kind of lens for a rangefinder because of that shorter flange distance than it is for uh, for an SLR. SLR. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is that, uh, you know, I have the 15. Uh, Voigtlander says, why stop at 15? You know, uh, why just have a super wide? You can go to 12 and get the hyper wide. I had a 12. I had issues with the 12. Um, it was unbelievable. Like, what was it? 170 degree angle of view or something like that. So I'm at the Grand Canyon. I'm taking photos, plop, 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 happy, happy, happy with my R2. And I get back, you know, develop all the photos. And like I'm leaning over, holding the camera on both hands, with both hands on both sides. And I get back and I was like, what's wrong with my photos? There's all this stuff on the side. It photographed my knuckles. Oh dear. Wow. <laughs> Did it photograph? It's that, it photographed my knuckles. Thank God you weren't shooting from the waist level. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 boom. Oh, boom. So yeah, it, it is, it is the kind of, uh, put it on you, a tripod. You have to be careful with that. And, and, and also, uh, you know, there isn't a range finder that I'm aware of that has built-in 15 millimeter. No. Uh, so you have you're using an accessory viewfinder, mm -hmm. and those accessory viewfinders they cost as much as some lenses. So it is an investment. Uh, it's fun to use. The depth of field is so like you have to try to be out of focus. You can shoot yeah. it wide open, and you still have everything rules of in depth focus. Of field. Exactly. So yeah, if uh, if you want to take wide angle to a whole new level of craziness, this is your lens. Well, I have one crazier. I have the um, AFS Nikkor 14-24 f2.8G. Love that lens. Oh. Now that's a beast. This is, this is a lens that you can't get your knuckles in focus because it just stands out so far from, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Your, from your camera body. I got this lens when I was exploring abandoned buildings and yeah, I was only shooting a crop sensor D300, but this lens just was magic. I always liked the abandoned buildings that had the big empty space. I'm talking about the old um, Firestone plant in Hamilton before they knocked it down, thanks to Urban Explorers. Um, and just all these fantastic, big empty building the hospitals with the 10 foot ceilings on every floor and of course i had a nikon f80 at the time it worked great with that and now i run an f5 and you get that full 14 millimeters yeah. and, and sometimes it's just too wide well and with that lens like it 
the lenses, I mean, you can't talk enough about the 1424 2.8. No, I mean, it's, it's not perfect. Uh, no. But in terms of edge to edge sharpness at 14 millimeter, unbelievable. All the way oh, through yeah. the zoom range. There, there is no other lens no. as good in no. that category, in that super wide. It, it is the most technologically advanced and even if you, super wide zoom. Even if you throw it wide open to f2.8, yeah. there is no fall no. off. Through the entire zoom range, yeah. which. Yeah. Hold on. How old is the manufacturer of that lens? At least 14 years, if yeah. not more. The 1424? Yeah, 1424 uh, has been along, around for how long? Uh, probably since 04. Yeah. yeah. So now they have not rebuilt it. They have not redesigned it. Every they other lens. Redesigned in their, every other lens. They've yeah, redesigned they, every other lens. Yeah. Like They're, the 2470. The 2470. They have a VR, the, they have a VR version of yeah. it now. They've got the uh, 70 you, to 200. You don't need it's to third, worry third about third, yeah. third integration. You don't need to worry about VR. Their 50s, their 35s, their 28s, their 24s. Everything's been redone. Okay, now you're awakening my inner Nikon fanboy. Yeah, no, yeah. same here. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> no. Um, it's, it's one lens that I will never get rid of mostly because of the cost of it. Yes. yes. I, I have one too. And it's just the one drawback of the lens is that to get a, uh, like a neutral density filter in front of it, you got to spend some money. Oh yes. yeah. Um, because can, there are no filter yeah, threads. Yeah. No. There's no filter. I mean, the thing is a bulbous, yeah. um, uh, monstrosity looking thing of a lens and it's heavy yeah um but the image quality is spectacular now lee filters um, i was gonna say yeah lee filters makes makes the adapter for it that costs about seven hundred dollars there is a knockoff version of this that i'll i'll send the info to alex to put in the in the show notes you can buy the filter holder on amazon um for about 200 bucks which is a lot of money but if you compare that to 700 bucks exactly um the problem is, is you have to buy uh, 150 millimeter um, plate filters for it, like the Lee filters. Right. Um, and those filters can run you anywhere, like minimum $200 a filter. Exactly. Um, so I actually did buy the holder and then I thought twice about it and I was like, you know what? It's such limited use, this thing. I couldn't imagine sinking in you know, a thousand dollars just in filters for the thing as much as I wanted to shoot landscapes with it. So I actually ended up returning all that stuff. Yeah. Mm. And uh, thankfully it was Amazon. They'll take anything back apparently. So yeah. that was a good thing. Um, if, if you can afford the lens, you can afford the filters. Well, you go broke after you buy the damn lens. That's the yeah, problem. Pretty know? much. But uh, yeah, anyway, like uh, all that aside, I love the lens. I think it's great. But when you get into these ultra wide zooms, unless you, you have to really make sure that, um, it doesn't have limited use right. when yeah. you're allocating budget for yep. it. You know, like it's uh, it's great. And if you've got one in your in your kit, don't ever let it go. Yeah. No. If you're a commercial landscape photographer, I mean, this is you know the the, the end all be all pretty much lens. I would say, yeah. or even if, or if, even if, architecture. Oh I, yeah, true. I remember yeah. the the there, first time I really yeah. fell in love with the lens was. I went back about 10 years after I'd first gone to um, the old Richard L. Hearn um, coal station in Toronto. And when I first went, I had a little tiny Konica Minolta Super Zoom, a D-Image Z2. And I got a shot when you first walked in from where you entered, you were in where one of the boilers were. And it was just this huge set of steel latticework all the way up to the roof. And the shot was okay for a Konica Minolta Z2 when I went back with my D300 and the 14 to 24 and you could catch the full grandeur of the place. Oh yeah. Just magnificent. Well, that's weird though. Cause in my camera kit, I think 24 millimeters is about as wide as I go. Like my brother owns wider lenses and if I need them, I can borrow them off my brother there you go oh yeah absolutely because like otherwise it's just gonna sit there like a 22.8 well that's nice uh, yeah. but how often am i gonna roll Well, with that's it? what happens you i mean you get into the either the the short focal length of the spectrum or the really long focal length of yep. the spectrum so unless you're an avid bird shooter you yeah. know you don't really need anything longer More than, than 200 200 yeah um and and generally nothing wider than 24 but if you're if you if that the kind of work that you do warrants those wide angle lenses definitely yeah. you know or you like the look of the you know yep. um and if you want wide angle with with 
pretty much little to no, no um, barrel distortion. Oh, yeah. The 1424 is the lens for you. And there's no equivalent in any other manufacturer. No. Um, That's the other thing to mention. It is rectilinear all the way through yes. the, yeah. uh, the zoom range. Yeah. So yeah. there's very, very little, distortion. little in the way of distortion. And like, I mean, you put, use, I'm going to talk about the 2470 in a few minutes, but yep. the barrel distortion at 24 on the 2470 is a major annoyance for oh, such yeah. a high priced workhorse of a mm. lens. Absolutely. But compared to the 1424, I mean, you shoot that thing, you're going to shoot landscape up close or uh, architecture up close, or you want a really wide angle shot and you want just complete sharpness. That thing at five, at five, six, is, it's insane. Yeah. It's it just, it's such yeah. an incredibly well made and designed piece of glass. And so, again, yes, it's what, probably what, new, I think it's $3,200 used. It's about like two grand ish. Yeah, that's about right. That's but about the right. thing is, if you want to try one, you know, honestly, go rent one. Go rent one. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and it, you won't be disappointed. I mean, it's 150 bucks for a weekend sort of thing. Yeah. And oh, yeah. really go have fun. Yep. Knock yourself out, burn off a few rolls of film, have some yeah. fun. Uh, it's it's coded for digital cameras as well. So if you But got... it works great on film. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're going to uh, start swinging back up from the insane up to something a little more normal. Um, and another um, ultra-wide zoom that I have here is the Konica Minolta 17-35 to um, f2.8-4D. to D. So the interesting thing is that this lens was one of the um, last ones produced by Minolta um, after they sort of merged with Konica. And um, it's not the best lens, but it's better than their fixed aperture one. So, um, again, at 17 millimeters, you can open it up to uh, 2.8. At the 35 end, you can only open it up to 4. So it really is a lens really designed for outdoor work. Um, there's a lot of distortion with it, which is a big problem. But the nice thing is it's inexpensive. They don't cost a lot of money. You can get them for under $200 on the used market, like in the $100 to $150 range. And it's actually the better lens, but you don't want to put it onto a digital body. Um, so the um, the early uh, Konica Minolta digital SLRs, the 5D and the 7D, this is not a good lens. Even the Sony ones, it doesn't perform well on. It is really a lens designed for, for film bodies. Which is good to keep it priced properly because, unfortunately, most Minolta AF lenses have gone through the roof because of Sony. Well, actually, you can still get some Maxim lenses for fairly inexpensive. Really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You, just, always... need to, you just need to know um, which ones to get. Ah. Like, you so don't, you don't... not all the Sony fanboys know all the good lenses? You don't buy the 51.4. Edit this out, <laughs> You buy the 51.7, mm. right? So you sort of, and you definitely avoid the 35 millimeter ones because those are super expensive these days. Of course. Um, I got this lens simply because I wanted to use um, ultra wide work for architecture, landscape stuff on my, on my Maxim 9. And the price was right at Burlington Camera. And again, Joan was the one who basically said, "Like this is this is really the better of the two. It's better than the fixed aperture f three point five version of it." Now, the interesting thing is, is that Sony produced a version of this as well, and I actually have the Sony hood, the uh, hood on it. So you definitely want the lens hood for it to avoid flares. And what's really nice is that it actually has a proper lens filter on it. It's 77 millimeters, but it's a proper threaded mount. Um, definitely worthwhile if you're into the uh, Maxim system. Um, well worth the investment, and it's really not much of an investment at that. Um, so um, going back up, um, we're going to go back to John and his um, lovely 20 millimeter Nikkor. Yeah, so I'm talking about the uh, 20 millimeter f 2.8 uh, Nikkor uh, AI. I forget if I have the AI or the AIS. It's a fairly old one, probably just AI. Um, 
it's not as wide as my 15, you know, just do the math. But I find that, you know, they have a, a difference of five millimeters at that end of the focal spectrum. There's a huge difference. And whereas 15 is just sort of gonzo, nutsy wide, the 20 is a bit closer to reality. And um, 84 uh, degree angle of view, I believe. So at, I think, so like uh, at a 20 millimeter, it's not just about the wide angleness. Whereas 15, it's basically like the wide angle, the, the field of view is just hitting you over the head. Um, or the knuckles. Or the knuckles, yes. We'll just leave it there. No more waist level jokes. Um, and I like the fact that it's f two point eight, so like it's it's much better for shooting in available light situations, like the fifteen millimeter. Like it's f four point five, so uh, you know that's it's, it's over. Uh, you, know, you know, there's a there's a stop. Uh, actually, a bit more than uh, than a stop of difference. And sometimes, especially with film cameras, you know, you can't just jack up the ISO to thirty two thousand. Um, every little bit counts. And and of course, the twenty, you know, at least at least with wide angle lenses, they're great for available light because you know if you use the old rule of thumb in terms of lowest shutter speed, it should be like one over focal length. And so, like a one, you know, a twenty millimeter lens, you know, thirtieth should be fine. If you have a steady hand, you know, one-tenth. Uh, I think I got away with one-eighth once, uh, but I don't try to make a, a general a general rule of it. So for those wide, for those low-level or low-light level available light situations, a lens like this is uh, great. I, I love the sharpness. And again, it's, it, to, me, to me, having the 15 and the 20, it's not duplication. The funny thing is, I talked earlier about my original 15-millimeter Voigtlander. This was the, that lens was traded away for a trade that involved this lens. So I lost my first 15-millimeter in order to get the 20. The only downside about uh, the one I have is that most of the time, Nikon is great about maintaining filter sizes. You know, everything's 52 millimeters. The 22.8 is 62 so I have to have some uh, different filters. Uh, also, of course, you know, having a lens hood, like a wide-angle proper lens hood, is the way to go with this lens, especially if you're outdoors on a sunny day. And I was lucky enough as part of the trade to get the metal hood, which is not common. But uh, you want something like that uh, just to, you know, just to watch out for, for flare and reflections and that kind of thing. But uh, great lens. It's also, it's affordable. This is not like a four thousand dollar lens, but I'd, I'd highly recommend it. Well, and we're uh, we're coming back up to uh, the twenty four millimeter mark, and um, this is a lens that is part of the um, the Nikon Trinity when it comes to their <laughs> modern Everybody lenses. Kneel. It's the uh, it's the middle one, the uh, twenty four to seventy two point eight G. Yes, it's. Um... Uh, one of my most used lenses when I was shooting professionally, it's uh, essentially a workhorse uh, of a lens. It's uh, right in that mid-range zoom category, um, and it is the uh, uh, the middle of the uh, the Nikon Trinity. And the Trinity is the, for those that don't know, I'm sure a lot of you know, is the 1424, the 2470, and the 70-200. Um, it is a gelded lens, which means it's the um, uh, AFS uh, G version um, uh, that Nikon created, which means it doesn't have an external aperture ring. Uh, a lot of debate around the gelded lenses and and why Nikon did that. It was probably related to cost, a few fewer parts, and then of course more modern digital cameras um, uh, have come out um, with aperture control on the body. Um, in terms of uh, use with the lens, I mean it's a great all-around uh, performer. I use it on my F6. Um, I used to use it on my F5 that now belongs to Trevor, I believe. So that, that, yep. that camera's gotten around like a cheap hooker. Um, it's a village bicycle. Everybody gets a ride. That explains the smell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the town doorknob. Everyone gets a turn. I don't know. Oh... <laughs> uh, uh... Anyway, back. I had something witty, but um, <laughs> no. Um, in terms of um, <laughs> performance of the lens, it's it's a. 
I'm not going to say it's a great performer. I'm going to say it's a good performer. And the only reason is is that um, uh, it does get a little bit soft at 24, and there is barrel distortion at 24. Yeah. Um, it is definitely fixable um, in in Lightroom. Um, but when you fix Photoshop. that in Lightroom, yeah. you're amazed at how much barrel distortion there is. Yeah. It looks like the center of the image is pregnant, and you're taking yes. away the pregnancy. It's yeah. weird. It's not a rectilinear design. Um, and uh, if you are going to shoot it at 24, and you're going to shoot um, if you're going to shoot portraits or anything where you want to control as much barrel distortion as possible make sure that you are level with your subject yes it helps quite a bit especially if you're going to when you're because you're going to need to correct it uh, in post if you're if, whether or not you're scanning film or if you're shooting digitally um, comes with a pretty robust um, uh, lens hood um, as well, I shoot it typically around f um, three point two to f four. I find that to be its its sweet spot um, because you do get a little bit of fall off uh, at two point eight. That isn't you know spectacular. Uh, Nikon their modern lenses at their wider apertures. Nikon's fall off has always been a bit of an issue for me. It vignettes a little bit. They all all of them tend to vignette a little bit strongly. In my I yeah. I noticed that for the first time. I've been doing a new um, series of reviews on my blogs on, on lenses and actually the um, one being released next um, this month, actually February is on the uh, 51.4 D. Mm -hmm. And for the first time ever, you notice it when it's, I noticed the yeah. fall off at well, the uh, edges at F 1.4. Right. I've noticed that with my Nikkor 20 F, Nikkor H28 3.5 lens. It's the PAI. Yeah. It vignettes and it is kind of. See, the, I think the one of the biggest reasons for that is Nikon has never changed the size of their hole. Yeah. Well, you know, as and uh, by hole, I mean the lens mount. Um, yes. Nikon's essentially pretty much had the same lens mount since the Earth cooled. Right. Um, now I know there's you know AI pre AI all of that stuff and not everything is compatible, but. But essentially, the size of the hole has right. been Right, the tail small. end of the lens. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the it's, tail end. It's, it's the, the weird thing is, it's just with the Nikkor H28 3.5. I don't have that with the 2.8. The 28 2.8 AIS lens I own, I don't have it with any of the 24 millimeter lenses I own or the 35 F2s. They're fine. Yeah. It's just that one particular lens vignettes. Yes, Absolutely, and I mean, if you if you're in the digital shooting digitally with any of these cameras, and if you have a DX camera. Yeah. Problem solved. Exactly. Uh, no problem at all there. And you got lots of data in a DX, modern yeah. DX lens, uh, DX uh, format camera. Um, in terms of its sweet spots in this lens, it loves to be at 3.2 or higher. Yeah. Um, and it loves to be anywhere from 35 to 70. So even at the longest throw, 70 is great. You get some half decent bokeh for uh, for portraits, but it's generally your sort of photo, photo journalist uh type of you know documentary portraiture uh i use landscape. it for event photography event like photography. weddings and corporate events yeah. like you, i use it to photograph tables of people exactly. i mean the most boring thing yeah. but i mean the thing with that though is that when you need the wide angle you got you've got to make you've got it but you've got to make sure you shoot it closer to f4 yes because the people at the edge of the tables are yeah. in focus and the people at the back of the table are not exactly. or vice versa yeah so yeah um absolutely like yeah, completely agree. I've shot the thing for years. I've shot about a gazillion weddings with it. Like, it, I mean, it's basically what you put on uh, on the lens when the reception Would, starts. Could you exactly. use it as sort of a one and only lens for travel if you're rocking oh, an F100 perfect. or an F5? Other than, other than the, the, weight. the weight of the thing? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah, like if, if I was – an ideal Nikon travel lens without – going off too far for me would be the uh, 24 to uh, 120 f4 mm. um, Nikon which is the the, the new f4 one. the yeah. f4 constant f4 not the 3.5 to 4 5 to, to 5 6 or whatever yeah. That, yeah. that thing's uh, yep um, if you have a canoe um, and it's in need of an anchor you can use that lens <laughs> So, there you, go. you know, just fill it with some cement and then you got a nice little canoe anchor. But, yeah, um, uh, yeah I, I don't like, yeah, I mean, that to me is the ultimate Nikon travel lens. If if you're a photographer that, hmm. you know, want, yeah. you know. One lens, one lens only. Yeah, and yeah. like F4 is more than adequate. Enough when you're outside. Yeah, yeah. when you're outside. But, um, yeah, I, um, 
if you shoot professionally and you know you're you you know want to invest in some really good glass and you've got of course the body so um like f80 and above um i think would be f80 or newer yeah would be um would be the camera that you want so works beautifully on an f5 uh it's essentially uh came out the same time the f6 did uh so you know 100 percent compatible i i I really like it on my uh, f6 but i Mm kind of like anything i put on the f6 so i'm not going to go down that road but uh (laughs) yeah so um definitely uh highly recommend that in your kit if you're a nikon um shooter they are coming down in price because of the new uh vr version Yes. Yep. So you can find them. I've seen as low as about fourteen hundred. Um, in okay condition. Yeah. I, I mean, well, more than okay bad. condition. Yeah, I would so. really. Uh, I would be hesitant to buy one of these things sight unseen. Um, oh gosh, yeah, uh, because they were workhorses and yes. they are professional cameras. I've Lenses. had mine serviced. It is not the most durable uh, lens either. Yeah. Like, I mean, I shot the thing. You know, weekend, week out, bunch of weddings, in and out of the car, in and out of the bag, banged around. So I've had mine serviced um, a, a few times. And the helicoid, the tolerances on the mechanisms are precision machined. Like the slightest impact on this thing, helicoid's yeah. effed. Yeah. yeah. And I have, luckily, you know, Nikon gives you a five-year warranty when you buy it brand new. And I, I'm an, uh, an NPS member, Nikon Professional Service member. So I just drop my lens off and they give me a, a free loaner. Yeah. So there it was never a big deal. But that thing's been in and out of the shop. So yeah. um, although it's a professional gold ring Nikon lens, it's a little too fragile for my taste yeah. for professional yeah. work. So just bear that in mind. I mean, I'm not by any means, it's not enough to detract to say I wouldn't buy that no, lens, no. but just be mindful of that. It, it will need to be serviced uh, if you get heavy use. And because it's in that mid-range, mid-range category, mm-hmm. you're constantly in and out with that damn zoom. And that helicoid is, yeah. you know, it, it's going to, it's going to, some things will fall out of adjustment and stuff yeah. like that. So now, that is one of the, it's kind of designed downturn flaws, I would say, is that the external barrel shoots out and comes yeah. back to yeah the it's zoom not range. an internal it's uh, not an internal zoom internal zoom yeah and and hence why you get that barrel distortion right um and overuse you turn it upside down yeah. it goes yeah it creeps well, yes it, it's a creeper <laughs> yeah we've been there yes yes we're not going there today yeah. new yeah. creepers love zoom yeah. lenses <laughs> Anyway, well, that's my take on the uh on the 2470 great lens and I, I guess we're gonna stick with uh yeah we're we're uh surprisingly a lot of us have uh gone really with the uh wide angle stuff so um let's uh let's talk some uh some fast aperture and bill has a um lovely well surprise surprise nikon lens yes we're nikon fanboys we're unrepentant about it you got a problem well yeah you know where you can put your zoom lens. Stick it up your cannon. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure the hole is still compatible. Oh, <laughs> I'm so not going there. Okay, little history lesson. 1959, Nikon dropped the Nikon F on his and, toe. Yeah, well, on its collective toe. Well, actually, the photography industry's collective toe, and basically made, I guess you could say, Rolleiflex lights. And a few other established camera makers' lives, a collective living hell. It became the pro camera of choice in the 60s and 70s. So it, when it was introduced, it came with a full lens system, including a lovely lens called the S5814. We're not talking about that because that only lasted a few short years. And if you find one in the collector market, do grab it because it's worth a lot of money. And if you collect early Nikon Fs, yeah, it looks great with that camera. But today we're talking about the Nikkor S514. It is a classic seven elements in five groups uh, configuration. It has been around from 19, uh, where was I? 1962. It was discontinued in the mid 70s when was, uh, a reformulation was created. So the new formulated pre AI lens is the seven elements in six, uh, six elements in six groups. And that was the AI, became the AI version. But we're talking about the S, the metal scalloped one that weighs up like a bit of depleted uranium. Uh, it, it came with just about every Nikon F. Uh, if it didn't come with the Nikkor H50F2, it came with the Nikkor S514. It also wound up on a whole boatload of Nikkor mats in the late 60s and early 70s. It is your classic go-everywhere, do-anything lens. I gentle love using it. 
for street work, if I'm going to be shooting a lot of people, and if it's like an impromptu, I need to shoot a portrait. Yeah, you roll with the fifty-one-four. There's a teeny tiny bit of barrel distortion, but it's not really much to really write home about. I wouldn't worry about it. And uh, you do find examples that have been converted to AI, which means, hey, man, I can use this Nick, lovely Nikkor S, provided it's got the little extra ridge and the hollow uh, meter prong. Uh, you can throw that on your Nikon FM, your FE, your F2AS, your FM2, your FE2, your FA, your F3, your F whatever. What about your FU? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. Only for shooting Fujifilm. <laughs> I'm staying silent on that one. But yeah. Only with an adapter. Yeah, but this Nikkor S, it's been used on the F2s. Cost 30% F2s. more. It's, been, it's documented a ton of documentary photographs in the 60s and early 70s. Uh, places that mattered. Uh, everything from, I guess, like Muhammad Ali right on into whatever you saw in Vietnam. And Woodstock, it, it, chances are there was a there was an an F there with the with the S fifty one point four lens on it. So yeah, um, price wise, you're looking at about a, just a tick over a hundred bucks if you're looking to buy one. And uh, other than that, there's really not much to worry about. They're they're solid lenses, and again, of course. Um, in the early 1970s, uh, they added lens coating. So you've got uh, the regular S, and you got the SC. The SC means there's multi-coatings, which sort of added some flare resistance, uh, also helped with uh, color uh, colors uh, rendition. It really kind of comes down to personal taste. If you're going for more of a, a 60s look, then just get the S. If you're looking for more of a 70s look at the S.C. And, of course, you can go really down the rabbit hole because this the shape of the metering prongs evolved over the years because the early ones had the triangle. And then after about, I think, 1968, 69, they went to sort of the more rounded metering prongs. But that's really splitting hairs. But it just sort of comes down to uh, the performance of the lens. It was a great photojournalist lens. It's a great portrait lens if you need it. And if you had to have just one lens with you, if you're rocking an earlier F2, a Nikon F, or a Nikkor mat, yeah, it's the S51.4, and that should keep you out of trouble. And nice. you can use it as uh, security uh, as well on an F, an old F camera. If you got into <laughs> trouble in the middle of uh, you know, a riot in Vietnam during the Viet Cong days, uh, you could protect yourself with that thing. Oh, I've, I remember accidentally, um, this is, oh God, 15 years ago. Yeah, 15 years ago. It's in St. Lawrence Market. I had one of those lovely Roots camera backpacks, the ones where they, the zip opened up. Well, brilliant uh, Bill uh, forgot to zip the camera bag up, and the Nikon F went ass over tea kettle and landed on the concrete. Ouch. Well, what happened to the concrete? <laughs> well, the filter was demolished. But the left front element was fine. There was a dent in the concrete. Yep. Nice. <laughs> no, those oh. are beautiful lenses. Oh, yeah. You can't go wrong. And again, the early scalloped metal ones, they're built to last forever. So if you're building oh, yeah. a pre-AI kit, uh, I would strongly suggest, strongly suggest getting a Nikkor S514 lens for it. Uh, you'll be surprised how often you're using it. Well, we have uh, one more lens, and it's also an f1.4, and it's also a G lens. Yes, indeed, and that is the Nikon 85 1.4, um, which I'm sad to say is now my second favorite lens. <gasps> and the oh my god, was that the that's the disturbance in the force? That I was felt the this disturbance morning? in the force, and the reason for that is because Nikon recently launched the 105. 1.4. Oh, damn. That so, focal length, the 105, is the best portrait length. Yes, it, it really it really is. I've always personally been, my eye is more suited, or I guess I have a preference to the 85 um, uh, millimeter focal length. Uh, okay, but that aside, maybe one day if I ever muster the uh, energy and budget to spring $3,000 on a 105, 1.4. Maybe we can talk about that In one day. In two months? Yeah, no. I'm trying to thin the herd right now. But um, anyway. Famous last words. Yeah. Not the film herd, just the camera herd. 
so there are actually three um, versions of the 85 1, 1. 1.4. So um, in 1980, um, uh, Nikon launched the first version of it, uh, and then uh, that was the pre-AIS lens, or that was an AI lens, I believe. It was an AI. And then uh, in 95, they launched the um, uh, 1.4D, which was the first 85 1.4 I ever owned, and I loved Loved that lens. It's a gorgeous. It's lens. a great lens. Um, the autofocus was just slightly slower than the new AFS version, which was launched in uh, in two thousand and five. But it was gear driven. That's why. And you had yeah, that so, huge, huge piece of glass on sure. the end that it had and to push it, around. It's it, it's a big. You know, all all Nikon professional glass, aside from the fifty, uh, is a seventy seven millimeter filter ring size. So there's it's it's big, um, and it's got that big glass feel when you're when you're creating images with it. Um, I would personally recommend. I, I personally, I don't have too much experience with the AI um, version of the lens. I am well versed in the AFD version and the um, AFS or the G version of the lens. Um, I would highly recommend uh, to get the D version of it because I think it's the most value for the dollar. Um, it doesn't have the um, the uh, ED coatings that the uh, that the newer G lens does, but unless you're shooting digitally, if you're shooting film, AFD for sure. If you're shooting digitally um, and you have um, a, a body that will handle the G lens, then I would get that. Um, in terms of uh, performance, I mean, like ergonomically, the thing is simple to use. It's big. It's fairly light given the size of the lens. It comes again with a big giant hood. Um, you know, it's 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 fairly heavy. I'm gonna I'm gonna pass my F6 around here with the with the MB40 grip and an 8514 around the table, and you guys can see um, it's it's not a lightweight uh, setup there. But uh, the camera, obviously, I mean, if you want some really shallow depth of field and you're you know for some reason only fascinated with bokeh in images, it's a good lens for you. Um, I think that um, sometimes bokeh is a little bit um, overplayed at the expense of actually good lighting and uh, proper um, uh, aperture and exposure usage. Um, but then, you know, that's a result of, uh, of uh, the history of the iPhone, um, which is, uh, you know, probably something for a constant we'll agitation get that episode. To that later. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, in terms of performance of this lens, I think it really, um, at f3.2 or 2.8, uh, even two at the minimum, I, I would say at, at 1.4, just be careful with it. If you're really looking for shallow depth of field, sure. But if you're doing portraiture, you yeah. have to make sure you focus on the right eye. Or the, sorry, not the right or left, yeah. but I mean the proper the eye proper that's closest eye and to the you. Nose and, and, and like, not on the tip of the yeah, nose yeah. because the eye will be uh, out of focus. The eye will be blurry. That's how shallow it is. Like yeah. it's, it's within millimeters. So um, mm. around um, uh, two... And above 2.8 to 3.2, the lens is just, I mean, it, it's, it's an incredible, uh, incredible piece of glass. Um, I, you know, I don't really have anything bad to say about it. It's an expensive lens. Let's, let's face it. Like, I mean, this, these are not, um, you know, these are professional, um, uh, uh, professional lenses, yeah. professional lenses. So, but anything that has a fast aperture that we're talking about in long lenses technically are, you know, professional lenses. Oh yeah. I mean, you like know. your typical consumer is not going to, uh, you know, going to be in the market for something like that. Uh, again, some of the drawbacks, typical nature of the design of fast Nikon lenses, there's some pretty good fall off, pretty severe fall off at 1.4 as well too. So, um, I think if you're, you know, if, if the if the image necessitates something like that and you want to isolate a subject and have that sort of, you know, built-in vignetting, um, or, I guess, or non-digital vignetting of, of the image, this is a good lens uh, for that. Um, mm. You know, it's... Uh, it, it, it's got some pretty good uh, fall-off, but you know what? Um, there's really... I don't have too much, too many bad things to say about it other than the fall-off. There is a little bit of ghosting when you're shooting digitally with it. The coatings are great. Oh, yeah. Um, but you do have to watch uh, your angle of light coming into it a little bit, so um, you do get a little bit of, uh, of some... a tiny bit of fringing, a little bit of coma, but, you know, nothing that can't be corrected uh, in, in post without too much effort. Absolutely. Um, you know, yeah. again, there's no perfect lens out no, there. No, so. of course not. 
Um, and yeah, when we um, again pulled our friends over in the negative positive land, Z, we got again some fantastic, fantastic results. Um, a lot of people um, have some very fast glass out there. I'm, of course, talking about the F1.2 lenses. We have the uh, Canon 55mm, um, the 7 Artisans 35mm. Yeah, we actually have someone who did put the um, Corey Miller, um, put down the uh, Nikon 85mm F1.4 D. Cool. Man, there are some people with a lot of money on this list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the fastest lens we have on here is from uh, Kelly Shane Fuller, who has a 50 millimeter f 0. 0.75. Oh, I, I've seen him post five. pictures of that. That's a Canon lens he's got there, right? Yeah. yeah. Is it the rangefinder one? It's not the 095. It's it's the 0. 0.75. The 0. 0.75, what, what, I think yeah. it is. 095 yeah. has nothing on Nothing on this thing? Nothing on this wow. thing. Which I think yeah. it, it, that is a rangefinder lens. I yeah, guess. It's, it, it, yeah. Yeah. Lots of rangefinder uh, lenses on here. The uh, Canon 50 um, f1.4 in the um, like a thread mount. Oh, that's a classic lens. Yeah. The Japanese Sumalux. Yeah, I have that on my Leica M42. So there you go. Yeah, your brother put that down, Alex. <laughs> no surprise. Yeah, <laughs> the apple did not fall far from the tree. No. No, um, good honorable mention. I would say one of my favorite long lenses would be the 105 f2 DF lenses. The, D, the DC, uh, D, D, DC, the, the defocus control. Yeah, D I think focus Alex control. Has that lens. Yeah, I have the yeah. 105 too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but Love again, the cutoff here was I know f1.4. F1. I know, and I know a few of you put down. Well, I don't consider. I consider everything past f2.8 fast. I'm sorry, you didn't follow the rules. <laughs> <laughs> or reading comprehension. Yeah. No, so, um, yeah, the um, Voigtlander Heliar 15mm f4.5 um, made, uh, made, made an appearance. Um, we have plenty of Zeiss lenses on here from uh, David Campbell, um, the 51.4 and the 85.14. Is this M mount or the uh, ZF lens? Um, like M. Oh, oh, the fifty-one oh, four. Yeah. yeah, the M. The fifty-one yeah. four is a sonar design, mm -hmm. which is rather intriguing. I've been sort of curious about that one, and then the yep. eighty-five one four. Oh my god, I wouldn't want to be the poor sod who has to focus with that one. The, the depth <laughs> no. of field will be next like to nothing. Like the made an eighty-five? No, Zeiss. No, Zeiss. Oh, Zeiss. Oh. Yeah. Um. Both Zach Tang and our friend Angela Solis um, put down the uh, Lomography Minigon 17mm lens. That's on the We really LC... need to get Angela and her husband on this yeah, uh, definitely. podcast. Mm -hmm. That's on the uh, Lomography um, Lomo LCW. So, as we've been uh, doing this season, James here is uh, constantly agitated. And today we're going to talk about bokeh. Oh, God. Bokeh. The Tell crutch, us how you how do you really feel, James? About the crutch this? of the so-called <clears throat> "quote unquote" professional photographer, aka guy or girl with camera. Um, bokeh to me is such an overplayed thing. Like it, it, it has its place. Don't get me wrong, but like anything, it looks cool, but it's a mask for either being lazy as a photographer or not understanding how aperture works and what is flattering and pleasing to a subject. We as photographers often struggle to uh, accept the difference of what we're looking for versus what our clients are looking for. Um, what is What we consider a technically cool photograph is not necessarily a flattering photograph. And of course, I'm referring to my own perspective here, uh, you know, spending years as shooting portraits uh, professionally. And what we have to understand is when someone looks at themselves in the mirror, they are seeing a virtual image of themselves, which means it's reversed. Yep. So when you look at a photograph of yourself, it's not what you're used to seeing. So when you can only see your face or your eye, you know, the average person doesn't really appreciate that. You know, work on using the appropriate aperture to control your background to get more areas of your subject's face uh, in the appropriate sharpness and fall off and shadows like when you shoot at these wide open apertures just chasing after bokeh you're losing texture and value in your photography which means that um shadow is not there to create 
structure and dimension dimensionality to your photographs and it makes the subject not look flattering you know i i i've just seen this trend and i think it's really come from a lot of uh uh, overuse of, uh, filters on cell phones, filters on cell phones and stuff like yeah. that. Like, I mean, there's so many, like, I mean, there's memes aplenty about what people <laughs> do with filters. And I think I find that a lot of photographers are doing the same thing with bokeh. Like they're going and buying these ultra fast lenses, which have their place just to blur out the background. Yeah. And more often than not, I go to a photo site of some sort. It's like, you know, tons of comments. It's like, Oh, I love the bokeh. love the bokeh. Well, that means you're not looking at the subject matter. Yeah. You're looking at yeah. beyond well, the subject matter. The bulk is great, but your composition sucks. sucks. <laughs> or worse, yeah, they're, they, 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 they have this fixation on a certain high-speed film, Portrait 800, uh, and they want to shoot it in Arizona in July, and it's like, and I want to shoot it wide open. So it's like, you're left sitting here going, okay, you do know the Kodak does have Portra 160, yeah. and it's a very nice film, and it's easy to scan, <laughs> unlike its 400 ISO cousin, which sometimes I struggle with on occasion. Uh, but yeah, you know, you know, <laughs> if you are really engaged in your photography, every shoot should start off as a struggle. Yes, because there is no predefined formula for doing anything in photography. If you're really focused on producing the best image you can, when you first engage in a shoot, and I'm, I'm really talking from the perspective of shooting people, uh, landscapes to a certain degree, but more so people, because people are all shaped differently. They all have different comfort levels. And you, <laughs> some people have more shape than others. Um, uh, Round is a shape. <laughs> yes. Uh, but the thing is, is you have to work that light until... You figure it out until it becomes uh, flattering to that subject and everything starts to click. So that initial part needs to be a struggle. And don't rely on a fast lens as your crutch. Learn how to work that light and learn what is the appropriate way to apply the most suitable focal length for what you're trying, or uh, uh, sorry, aperture and focal length for what you're trying to achieve. I know you want to also suggest the proper speed film as well, because a lot of people... They fixate on their specific favorite and they try and make it work for an environment that really wasn't suited for it, i.e. the original intention was, okay, night photography, concert, yeah, I completely Christmas agree. Day yeah. in, 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 Janu in, in December in, in Canada. Uh, but, you know, and then it's like, well, yeah, let's do it in like L.A. in like July, Duke, because I like the <laughs> color palette. Well, and that's it's like, no, that's, no, that's um, 160. That's what it's for. Yeah. And I agree with you, and I think a lot of that has to do with the romanticism around film and falling in love with a particular emulsion or just having this overwhelming desire to shoot film because it's film photography, I guess. Well, it was just photography 30 years ago, but um, when it comes to film photography, f film photography versus digital, um, I think you have to consider there's a few more steps in the creative process when it comes to shooting film. With digital, you have the ability for manipulation and post to the nth degree, which is great to have that flexibility. In film, when it comes to the creative process, the, the kind of process I go through in my own mind, I think about what I'm going to be shooting, I visualize the output that I want, and then I think about the most appropriate film to start with that's going to get me there. Then I think about, am I going to pull, am I going to push that film, how much additional contrast outside of the box parameters of that film do I want to achieve, and then I shoot it accordingly so then when i get my negative i have less work to do and i'm starting off um i'm trying to even the the playing field as much as possible so to you i think to to bill's point is don't get fixated on a particular emulsion brand of film camera lens whatever you know look at the equipment that you have and then pick that well, accordingly i got a situation where i've got a portrait session coming up probably late may june it's going to, probably going to happen at Harborfront. I, my friend, she's looking for a fresh set of headshots, and it's like, okay, probably Ferrania P30, probably Portrait 160. And I'm going to roll with those two, just because I want to get that classic Fellini look in black and white with her, because she's Mediterranean complexion, and Portrait 160, because I know it's not going to cause me a nightmare in Lightroom having to color correct. <laughs> 
So there you go. Well, that's enough agitation for one episode. Absolutely. Well, um, that that wraps it up for this episode. My name's Alex Lauk, saying it's not about how big your glass is or how fast it is. It's how you use it. This is James Lee. It doesn't matter the length of your focus. It matters how fast you can zoom. How can I go after those two? It's Bill Smith signing off. I've got nothing for you this month. So li- pushing it on to Mr. Black. We like Nikon because the hole is smaller. No matter what your diameter is, make sure you put a filter on it. And this is John Meadows saying, your choice of lenses should reflect where you are in life. Look at me. I used to be fast. Now I'm wide. <laughs> <laughs>